Welcome to the Cosmic Earth Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Holbrook. I'm an intuitive astrologer, a spiritual coach, and cosmic teacher. When I learned astrology, it was more like a remembrance, as if I'd done this in many lifetimes before. And it is now my mission to teach you this ancient science in a fun, practical, and grounded way so you can use this magic as a tool to manifest beyond your wildest dreams. Here we cover all topics of the cosmos, like what's going on in the sky and how it will affect you, the zodiac signs and seasons, and how to use this language to understand and fall in love with yourself and become empowered in areas of your life like your purpose, gifts, challenges and wounds, love, money, relationships, career, and so much more because astrology truly covers everything. Some episodes will be solely on the language of the stars, some intuitive solo episodes, and in others you'll meet inspirational guests. This podcast is a reminder that you are here to co-create with the universe and live in a flow of infinite possibilities. Remember to subscribe and leave a review, and if you want more, join the community over on Patreon where you can get access to astrological manifestations and exclusive content. We are on this journey together, and I'd love to connect with you on Instagram, so say hi at Rise with Natalie. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now go out there and find some magic in today. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Cosmic Earth podcast. I am here with a new friend, but a friend who seems like we've been friends forever because we have a lot of mutual friends, Nina Camille. Thank you so much for being here, Nina. Mm, Thank you for having me. Yes. So Nina is a transformational facilitator, mentor, coach, author, yoga instructor, retreat leader, and movement artist. I love that movement artist. She is the creator and leader of Experience Freedom, a suite of online group programs, luxury retreats, and facilitator training for epic beings to radically open and discover the truth of who they are in a safe, expansive, and loving container. Her passion lies in guiding people to true inner freedom, deeper connection, and authenticity in a way that is practical, sustainable, and miracle-inducing. And Nina is also a Sagittarius sun, a Libra moon in the 12th house, lots of depth there, and a Scorpio rising, and a very deep Scorpio rising as you have your Pluto right there in the first house, right there on the horizon line, right on your, very close to your AC, right conjunct next to your south node. So, so much deep ancestral healing that you're doing in this lifetime. And I can't wait to dive into your chart and then dive into everything that you are doing. So I just have to say in your bio, I love this miracle inducing that you do. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about experience freedom overall. I know that I've heard so many amazing things about it. I've had friends who have gone on it. I want to go on it. (laughs) Tell us like, where was this concept born out of and what is it? Mm. Ah, Experience freedom is my baby. (laughs) It, it honestly feels like the greatest gift I've been offered in this life is Mm. permission to shepherd this entity. It feels like this being of love that kind of calls the right people through it. And I, I honestly feel like a humble shepherd of experience freedom. It's been such a life-changing experience for me and everyone who seems to be drawn toward it. Uh, so essentially it started as one program and 
I've been on a path of awakening for, I mean, most of my life as we all are since we're born truly. But for me, I was raised by somebody who was a, a shamanic healer and a psychic and also very mentally unwell. And so I experienced a lot of contrast from a very young age being deeply psychic and sensitive myself, having a lot of chaos around me and seeing how somebody who was very charming and gifted spiritually could abuse that power and hurt people that he loved and people that I loved. And so I spent a lot of my life rejecting myself and my own gifts and figuring out how to get likability. Uh, and I got really good at that. And like many of us, I ended up really abandoning myself and I, you know, grew into adulthood and had a series of unfortunate events as many of us do, especially those of us who are on a path of really giving our gifts, we end up kind of getting knocked down really hard by life first. And, uh, I went through a series of heartbreak and death and disaster that just kind of cracked me open. And in those moments when I was asking myself, like, who am I and what am I here to offer and how am I moving through the experience that I'm having? And that's really what shaped experience freedom was me learning how to navigate extreme trauma with grace and using radical self-care and a spiritual practice and authentic relating to continue to stay active in my life and to enjoy it, even if I was navigating some of life's greatest challenges. Uh, and so, you know, I did one-on-one -on -one work for quite some time. And when I got to the point where I knew there was something bigger that needed to come through, I kind of leaned way back and I got to look from a more meta perspective what are the processes that need to happen in order for us to move through every stage of life and still feel connected to ourselves, to each other, to have access to the tools that we need and to actually integrate and use the wisdom that we've gathered because so many of us gather all this knowledge and we just don't know how to use it or when, or when things are really hard, we reach for the tools, but we can't seem to find them. Um, and that was me as well. And so I created an experience that really kind of embeds the truth of who we are into our daily life so that we can live free and authentically and, you know, bridge the gap between being this incredibly expansive, infinite spirit being and also this like precious little human in a body. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Experience Freedom is, now it's a group of programs. Originally, it was just a four-month program and a luxury retreat, and that's kind of like the jewel of Experience Freedom, but now we have offerings for facilitators and people who want to offer this work and lead retreats, and also for people who are a little bit newer to the path who just need to lay the foundation of who am I and what have I been through and how can I navigate it. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So much here that I'm like, ding, 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 let's talk about this and this and this. Um, so to kind of go back a little bit, like, thank you for sharing everything about this. And I hope that, you know, for everybody listening, definitely after you listen to the whole thing, go and check this out because there's nothing else that I've ever heard that's like this. And just acknowledging you for that, that's really beautiful. But when you were raised, was it your father then that had these kind of gifts or like guardian? Yeah. So um, did you feel like you learned these practices at a young age also? and then shut them out? Yeah, that's a really great nuanced question because yes and no. Uh, when I was very, very young, my parents have been divorced since I was two. So I never had them both in the same place. But ironically enough, I was raised by 
my mother and my stepdad for the most part who were cancer and Pisces. And then my other two parents, my father was a Scorpio and his new wife was also a Scorpio. And so it was just like this fire child swimming in this ocean all the time. And uh, so when I was very young, my dad taught me Tai Chi when I was like a little girl. And I remember even the little stories he made up teaching it to me when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would wake up to him chanting and oming and having altar- altars all over the home and a lot of non-denominational spiritual practice. He didn't eat meat. Like mm-hmm. we would go to non-denominational spiritual worship. Uh, and then when I got old enough to, to see the incongruence between you know, who he wanted to be in one moment and the pain that he had inflicted upon pretty much everybody who loves him and specifically all the children in our family. Uh, I started to remove my energy from him and I actually didn't have a relationship with him for most of my life. And so most of my like deep embedded ancestral wisdom and spiritual gifts do come from my father's lineage. We're Haudenosaunee from the Iroquois tribe and he's the one who planted those seeds in me from a really, really, really young age. But then I grew up most of my life having no contact with him at all. Yeah. And so being in a home with my mother who, you know, being a cancer, she was very intuitive, but it wasn't something that she actively practiced necessarily. She was more go out and find your own truth, kid, have fun. And I would go to all these different churches. Anyone who went to church at any school I went to, I would end up going with them to all these different you know, express expressions of spirituality because I was curious and my mom just kind of let me run with it. Um, and then my stepdad was a very beautifully generous, like stable human being. <laughs> he was definitely like the rock in the world of my blood relatives. Thank God. Um, so growing up, no, I didn't really have anyone to help me hone my gifts or understand myself. And I was an only child as well. Mm-hmm. So I really felt like I was flying blind with this ability to communicate with plants and animals. And I would see beings in the home and my mom wouldn't respond to me. Like I was crazy. She, I remember one, one night I saw like a, a looked like a person yeah. and I'm like, mom, there was this man in the house, like, da, 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 da. and she, and she looks at me and just like, doesn't even blink. And she's like, oh yeah, that's Gary. He passed a few weeks ago. He was our neighbor. Like, oh my God. okay. And I remember being like, why are you so calm right now? But okay. And the way that she responded to me really allowed me to trust it and to not think that I was going crazy. And I know that I'm really lucky in that department. Mm -hmm. Um, So my mom was just comfortable talking about these things, but she wouldn't bring them up often. It was if I went to her and said like, Hey, I saw something, she would always validate me, but I had no place to like hone those gifts or practice them. And I definitely didn't have any peers to play with them in. And so I felt really alone. Uh, And most of my practices through my young adulthood were like drinking and partying to Mm -hmm. turn off all Mm -hmm. of the extra sensory perception and to just fit in. So the practices that I now teach and develop are ones that I really had to learn and develop as a skill. They were not natural to me at all. I'm very disciplined now in my life. And if people have known me for longer than 10 years, they know that that was not always the case. (laughs) 
<laughs> I so feel you. I feel like you and I, I wish we would have met when we were like 10 years old because I was actually the same exact way where I would have all of these little signs all of the time. And I would go outside and I would like look at the clouds and be like, why are we here? You know, and ask these questions, these very existential crisis type of questions at like eight years old um, and, and see things and feel things at the same time. And I definitely went down that path too. I was raised Mormon. And so it was very much of like, this is how we live. This is what we do. But there also was this really beautiful sense of spirituality that I'm really grateful for that embedded these beliefs in me in something, you know, I always knew there's a God or there's what they call it in um, Mormonism, heavenly father. Right. So, so then what was the, um, and I also definitely like turned everything off with, with drinking and like, I just want to have friends and I also really want to have fun and alcohol is so much fun and Molly's so much fun and you know, all of this, like, let's just play. And I actually feel that, you know, I'm grateful for that time because it did bring out other pieces like MDMA, especially of like, wait a minute, actually this feels like true love. Like what if we could experience this without a drug, right? tangent. <laughs> so, okay. How did you then get into everything? What was the moment of I'm leaving that world of numbing and moving into this path that you're on now, the people who know you from over a decade, what are they, <laughs> you know, who, how, what happened? Uh, yeah. What's interesting is that there wasn't a transition. I actually did both for mm. a really long time. And so I would say the first large window back into the world of spirituality started through my body with a asana practice because I was a gymnast as a child. And so I was very, very strong and very flexible. And so when I was 20, I saw people practicing yoga and my first thought was, oh, I would be really good at that. And a little like competitor in me was like, oh, we're going to win at yoga. And so I remember taking my first yoga class and looking around the room and, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest, I remember seeing a lot of bodies that were not even remotely in, you know, what we would consider in shape or yeah. appearing to be fit compared to me. I've always been an athlete and they were killing it and I was struggling. And I remember looking around and being like, wow, like I never would have guessed that these people would be so fluid and beautiful in their practice. And I would be just straight struggling. <laughs> and because I like to be good at things, I came back and I continued and continued. And at one point, something opened up in me where, you know, like many of us in the West who turn to yoga, we start with the asana practice, but then we realize that that's not actually why we're there. Um, and it became a home, my yoga mat became a place where that's where I felt most like myself but because I only knew how to get love by being a popular party girl I wouldn't let that part of me go either and so for many many years you know I've been a yogi since I was 20 years old and I'm 36 so for 16 years I've been practicing yoga and you know for the first 10 of those I was going from yoga to the club like without skipping a beat and I felt like a phony everywhere I went because I'd be on my yoga mat and I would know that I was about to go abuse my body, which was not in alignment with yogic principle. And I'd be in the club and I'd look around and I'd just be asking myself the question, like, I'm totally capable of having fun in the moment. And I can look around and see that I genuinely love these people. And like, this is not what I'm here to do, but I don't know what I'm here to do. So I'm just going to do this for a little while. 
Uh, and it got to the point where I felt like I was being ripped in half. And I ended up, you know, doing yoga teacher training, quitting the job, running dance music festivals. Um, I ran a destination music festival for five years. I built it from the ground up and it was really cool and amazing. And that was like the sexiest job you could imagine being in your mid twenties and, mm-hmm. you know, conversing with all these DJs and booking them for your show. And I was like the face of the company. And so, you know, I was already very well respected as an entrepreneur at a very young age and every event I would just feel so awful because I was abusing my body and just like it just was taking me out and so I resigned and went through yoga teacher training and you know it was really more of a slow burn that I began to let go of the party lifestyle because it just couldn't fit me anymore uh and I started to lean in and toward my practices and toward more of the truth of who I am. And it was through gaining results, really. You know, I'm always observing and watching and I could see like, okay, do X, Y, and Z and feel this way. But if you do D, E, and F, you feel this way. Uh, And so I would say like the biggest catalyst was a massive experience of heartbreak shortly followed by a death. And so I was living in the Virgin Islands. I had, you know, still one foot in each world. And I was madly in love with this man that I thought that I would have all the babies with. And I was 31 years old and he ended our partnership out of nowhere to me at the time, you know, now we're dear friends and I know it wasn't quite out of nowhere, but for me at the time, it felt like an anvil fell out of the sky and crushed my entire life. And I didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to be sad properly. I don't think I ever really acknowledged or looked at my own pain in my whole life until I was 31 years old and I had lost the person that I would spend my life with. And I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was numb it a little bit. And it didn't work. Like it, I couldn't have drank enough to kill that amount of pain. I was so hurt. And so when I started to feel it, it felt like it wasn't just the pain of the heartbreak. It was every ounce of pain I had never felt finally was allowed to move through me. And I spent days and months just crying and I thought I was broken. And even my friends would stand over me and be like, Hey Nina, you're the person that we call when someone's going through something like this. So we don't know what to do, but like, we're kind of worried. And I just be like, I know, sorry. Like I got nothing for you. This is just what's happening right now. And so, you know, I was going through group programs and I had a mentor and I got to a place where I was like, okay, I'm destroying myself. This is killing me. I'm delaying the healing of my pain by numbing it slightly and doing the stupid shit I've done my whole life, which is like, you know, get male attention, drink and do a bunch of cocaine until the sun comes up and think that that will help. And, you know, just all the shit that wasn't working and I wasn't teaching yoga anymore. I took a break and there were just so many moments where I'm like, what am I doing? And I remember I got a yacht job. I was living in Fort Lauderdale and I was at a dive bar on a Sunday doing like key bumps in the bathroom. And I remember looking around at the people I was with and the environment I was in. And I just had this conversation with myself where I was like, Nina, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing right now? Like, really? No. And there was a yoga workshop that weekend with like a visiting teacher and I had skipped it to be there. Mm. My body. And I remember just being like, you are so far off your path, young lady. Like you need to get your shit together now. And so 
I flew to San Diego, booked a multi-day healing experience with my mentor and basically hashed out this plan to get my shit back together and get into alignment. And I call this like the machete through the jungle moment <laughs> where I basically took a giant knife and I hacked like everything that was not in alignment with the truth of who I was meant to be in this world. I just hacked it away. It was gone. I quit drinking, quit doing cocaine, quit smoking weed. I quit dating. Really. I quit having sex with people. I wasn't in a committed partnership. I went on a gut cleanse. So restarted my meditation practice, reading the books, going back into teaching and practicing my yoga. And I just eliminated everything because I was so sick of the way I was treating myself. And I knew I was here for more. And so I started to feel great. Three months went by. I'm like health coaching now. And I got some certifications. I'm doing the thing. And then I get a phone call on a Wednesday afternoon that my best friend had just died from an accidental overdose. And I was just like, what? I just caught my breath after like the most devastating experience of heartbreak. And here I am nine months later where like the rug has been pulled out from underneath me again. And I had never been hit like that before. When you're 31 and like your brother dies out of nowhere, it just changes everything. And not just for me, but for every one of our friends. It, it, it was like a rattle through the entire social fabric and like feeling of love and family that I had created. And I kind of felt Brandon in those moments, Brandon was his name, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do about it? And so again, I flew back home to San Diego, like, okay, now we get to like pack up his apartment and bury my best friend in our early thirties. And the thing I really noticed was that the men, like my other chosen brothers that I've grown up with since I was probably 11, 12 years old, I'd never even seen them cry probably in my whole life. And here they were like crying in my lap because we had just lost our brother and I could hold it. And I was also totally shattered, but because now I was taking care of myself and I wasn't abusing my body and I was willing to face my pain and be with it. And granted, this was only like month three of this brand new path I'm on. I had so much capacity and people were coming to me. I was the first person to speak at his service. Like his mom comes up to me and she's like, I need you to pick out the outfit that we're going to put on him for his open casket in Massachusetts because they were Catholic. And I'm like, you what? And she's like, I can't do it. Like you have to. And I'm like, ah, can't you choose a next girlfriend or something for this? But I was like his sister and she knew it. And so noticing who I got to be when I was taking care of myself in this new way was really the thing that drove me forward. And it also birthed my business because that was the catalyst where one of Brandon's childhood best friends reached out to me and she said, Hey, you're navigating this with some, some kind of magic. How are you doing it? Can you help me? And I was like, actually, yeah, I can. And so we joke that Brandon actually started like the deeper healing work that I do because he left and had people come to me because they saw that I was able to navigate the hardest thing imaginable without letting it take me out. And I also was able to show up for the community in it. And that was really the moment where I realized who I get to be when I show up in alignment with what I'm here to do, my mission in this world. And that there's nothing that felt better than that. Not even all the drugs in the world, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's such a 
that's like that catalyst moment, right? Where it's like the machete, I love that analogy. And then you get there and then this huge tragedy happens. Do you still feel his spirit with you all the time and like connect with him? Oh my gosh, all the time. Sometimes I'll hear his voice in someone else's voice. Or if I'm traveling alone, I'll see his face in someone's eyes and like, I'll know it's him. Um, and he communicates to me with certain birds and music and stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of mediums will be like, you know, you have a, like a man, he's just like hanging out. He doesn't want anything. He just wants to kick it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's Brandon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Tell me something new. <laughs> I know he wants to kick it. And I know that there's some disorientation that happens when someone leaves this world from an accidental overdose. You know, he didn't, you know, he, in a sense, took his own life, but he didn't consciously choose that. Yeah. Um, and that's hard for a spirit. So I've remained best friends with him and I don't feel him quite as much now. It's been four years and there was a long time where I was like, it's okay. You can go. Like I got you. We're going to look out for your family. Like we've got each other. Like you get to go now, like you're free. Um, so yeah, his love is very much still present, but I feel like he's been freed from some of that like energy that he was kind of hanging out in for a while mm -hmm. he gets to experience freedom right everybody <laughs> so okay that really inspires me that you went from where you were at you did that key bump of cocaine and you're like where am I who am I what the hell am I doing with my life I definitely had a moment like that too you and I need to talk about this more I used to live in Vegas and I also worked in nightlife and I used to interview all the DJs and be VIP everything. And my moment was actually at a club also where I was like, what the hell? But what were the steps that you took to get into alignment and to bring you to that space where people were noticing and they were like, you can hold this space. You have this alchemical magic. What did you do? And what are these practices? Mm. Yeah. It's definitely expanded in the way that I offer it since, you know, the day where I needed it myself. But the first thing was stop abusing my body and make a conscious choice about every single thing that you're going to put inside of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it really started for me quitting drinking alcohol and it wasn't, I'm never going to drink again. It was, I'm going to go six months without drinking and see what happens. Yeah. And so, you know, I approach everything with this like sacred scientist mentality where even with my clients, I'm like, it's really hard to say you're going to do something every day for the rest of your life, but you can say, I'm going to do something every day for six months and see what happens. Mm. So let's just gather the data and see. And, you know, my original hope was that I would quit drinking for three months. And I learned that you can't really repair your stomach lining. If you've been drinking for a while, even a little bit, uh, in less than six months. It takes six months for your like gut to repair from alcohol. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I've been drinking pretty actively since I was 13 and I'm 31. So we're going to need about six months or longer. Yeah. Uh, so I quit drinking and it, it really was asking myself the question, you know, is this the most loving choice for my body right now? And being a movement artist as well, you know, like I stand on my own head and I was doing aerial silks and contortion work and all of this fun stuff with my body and hand balancing and acro. And I was looking at what I was doing with my body and the way that I was treating it. And I'm like, what do I think is going to happen here? Like, I want to be able to stand on my own head until I'm a hundred. And that's definitely not going to be possible if I keep abusing myself. And so yeah, radical self-care. Mm -hmm. sleep 
hydration, nutrition, meditation, reflection, movement. Like that's basically the basis of what I start every person in every program I ever teach with. I call it the big six. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also add in the little three, which is pleasure, prayer, and offering. Um, and so helping people reestablish a relationship to the body, because I think we've gotten so addicted to the mindset work and we definitely have to do the mindset work. But when we've experienced trauma or anything hard, most of us have been taught or offered some way to escape. And we took it because we didn't know that that was going to disassociate us from our life. It was an escape from our pain. And if you want to heal, you kind of get it back in through the body. You know, you have to heal through the body and experience a feeling of being safe to even be in your body. Right. And for a lot of us, it doesn't feel safe to be in our body. And so that was everything for me is I need to get back into my body and experience a feeling of self-generated safety where I'm taking care of me to an extent that I'm building trust. I'm going to feel safer to be more vulnerable and open in my relationships. And I'm going to be present to the magic that exists because if I'm running from pain, I'm also running from pleasure and I'm running from the moment. Uh, and so there's a lot of practices, but I would say like radical self-care for the body and daily meditation are like absolute seem quanum like that without which nothing else exists you're not going to succeed on a healing path if you're abusing your body the whole time and if you want to learn to be with this moment you have to meditate every day in silence like it's the most powerful thing that anyone can do to heal their life it's been done for thousands of years and in every spiritual tradition and it's free and yet almost everyone knows that it's the best thing we can do and very few people actually commit to it um, and so that's, that's my biggest radical superpower is I've, de I've dedicated myself to my daily meditation practice. I've meditated every day for more than two years. I'm at 734 days in a row. Oh, um, no exceptions. And that has done something for me and it will do something for anyone who commits to it because it builds self-trust, like not to mention all of the actual benefits of meditation, but if you do anything that's really good for you every single day of your life without fail, you end up building a relationship with yourself and God or source of oneness that is unshakable and it carries you through the moments when you really need it. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> I actually remember seeing, I think you screenshotted it on your stories that you had like that many, it was like 700, what is it? 26, 36 like, consecutive days. And I was like, wow. And I actually don't really use insight timer and you inspired me to do that again. And so I'm like, okay, day seven of like <laughs> recording it because it does feel so good. And it's like this beautiful sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. I joke that we, like our ego always wants a win. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm like dancing with the ego to fuel my daily meditation practice, which is designed to dissolve the ego. And so it just works, you know, at this point, yeah, I'm around 734 or something like that. Um, 730 was two years and that was last week. And I'd make the joke frequently that I would lose a finger before I'd lose my streak on insight timer at this point. Like wow. I'm not going down, just <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and it's so helpful because I mean, I lost my mom last year unexpectedly and it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I can't tell you 
how much I didn't want to meditate. And people think that I just love to sit with myself in silence. And that is absolutely not true. There are a lot of days where I would rather do literally anything else. Mm-hmm. I'd rather take out the trash a thousand times, which is my least favorite thing to do, than sit with myself in silence. But I do it anyway because it works. Yeah. It does. Exactly. <laughs> And I, I fully agree with you. I know that every single pivot in my life has been led by meditation as well, by some type of that deep inner knowing and listening. So absolutely. So, okay. Within this, cause you've experienced so much grief, probably more than most people for sure that I know personally, what would you say are kind of the steps in, in healing from grief and what you need to do? What has worked for you? Yeah. Grief and I have danced so long that I almost have this like deep, deep, profound respect and love for the role that grief has played in my life and the role that it plays in all of our lives. Because while I've had a very heavy dose of it personally, there's no one who doesn't dance with grief. Like we, the, the constant of life is impermanence and, you know, we don't really heal grief. Like we just don't, we learn to befriend it and it becomes a part of our life that can be beautiful if we allow it to be. And um, I've co-facilitated large community grief ceremonies here on Island and, you know, people reach out to me about grief all the time now on Instagram because I share about it really frequently and I'm really honest and real about my own journey of grief, which has still been so hard. I'm coming up on a year now since my mom left this plane and it honestly feels like yesterday. Like there are so many days where I'm like, how can I exist on earth without my mother? It's not safe. And like my body feels that way. And my little girl just feels so abandoned. And, you know, then there's this wise, mature adult in me also that's like, you're okay. Like she, she taught you all the things she's with you now more than she probably was when she was informed because she had a lot of pain in this life. And with grief, you know, like the nitty gritty of starting a grief journey, I would say is like, get very clear on what your basic needs are. Uh, before you go on a grief journey, which means don't wait until someone dies or until someone breaks up with you or you lose something that you're really attached to, um, to figure out what it is that you need. And this is why I teach this. The first thing in every one of my programs is like, figure out what you really need. What are the things that bring you back into alignment? What lights you up? What brings you into your body? What makes you enjoy life, even for a brief moment and like put it in a document somewhere so that when you are hit by grief, if you are, you, you don't have access to anything that sounds like goodness or play. Like it just feels like, like absolute horror and devastation. And so a lot of what happens when you're grieving is the people who love you are like, what do you need? And you're like, I have no idea. I just hurt. I don't know. I can't even like tie my own shoes. Like And I did so much research when I was grieving my mom because I felt like I was broken and I had already grieved Brandon so hard that I thought I was like this grief master. And then my mom died and I felt like my brain didn't work anymore. And I learned that your brain chemistry actually does change when you're grieving. And I wasn't as quick. I wasn't as smart. I couldn't focus. I couldn't work. Like I literally couldn't do things. And the idea 
of going to the grocery store, preparing a meal for myself felt like absolute nervous system overwhelm and collapse. And so getting clear on what your needs are and being able to share them with the people that care about you is really, really important. Um, learning to lean on your community and receive love. I know that's something that a lot of people have a hard time with, but I wouldn't have made it through my mother's death without the people who care about me and love me. I had to receive more than I ever have in my life. People like coached calls in my program and helped me move. And it was just absolutely incredible how my community showed up for me and I couldn't not receive it because I couldn't do anything on my own. Um, and the other thing that I always tell everyone who's grieving is make sure that you eat. Because mm. that was like the hardest piece for me. I would stare at the fridge and I just, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I needed. I was hungry all the time, but I couldn't feed myself. Like there were days where I had someone like actually put a straw in my mouth of a smoothie so that I like could receive nutrition because you're just so disoriented. And, you know, there was a part of me that didn't even want to be a human anymore. Like it hurt too bad to be alive and nourishing the body just felt pointless. And even with all the wisdom and all the tools and all of the joy that I'm generally able to access, I just couldn't. And so making sure that you eat and that you let people help you, like that's how you get through the beginning of a grief phase. And yeah, a lot of prayer and remembering that grief is love. You know, we grieve to the extent that we loved something and, and to also, you know, communicate how you want to be loved. Because I cannot tell you how many people, when I said my mom died or I lost my mom, they would say something like, oh, you didn't lose her. She's always here. And I wanted to punch them through the phone right. because you just don't say that to someone whose person just died. Because mm -hmm. yeah, her spirit will always be here. She's me. We're one. I know that. And like, do not spiritually bypass the absolute heartbreak and devastation that my human is experiencing. We have to validate the pain in order to dissolve it. And so I didn't need someone to tell me the spiritual version of what happened. I know that already. Thanks. I needed someone to go, oh my God, that sucks so bad. What can I do? I love you when I'm here. Yeah. And like, that's how I needed to be loved. Like, tell me it's okay to be angry at God right now because it is like, mm -hmm. that's just part of being a human. Absolutely. And it is. And I really commend you for it. I feel like you're on this dance of, of experiencing the whole spectrum of every piece of life. And, you know, you have your moon in the 12th house, which is all about death and the other side and the veil. And it's like, then with this Pluto in your first house, the planet of death and rebirth, people see you as someone who has it together, right? Like quote unquote, or who can handle it all and who can help everybody. But it's so beautiful to see how that's manifested in your life of you truly being connected. And that connection comes first through yourself and mm -hmm. telling people what you need. And I think that that is a society we've been shunned to not do, right? And it's like, how can we step into that more and actually just do it and then be the example for that? And I love that you have so many planets and so much energy in your first house because you also have this underlying Aries energy, right? Where it's like, you're going to make it happen. That's that competitive spirit. And like you being an athlete and like, you just go for it. You have that machete out and you're like, let's just dive right in and let's go there. And you do it in this big Sagittarius way where like you're here to experience the bigness of life, of every single emotion, every single physical emotion, 
like emotional, spiritual, financial, every single thing, like the yes and the no, the ups and the downs. And it's, it's beautiful. Just your wisdom. I feel like your wisdom is like, it's like ancient, ancient, ancient woman who has lived millennia. So Thank you for sharing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a party in my first oh. house. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the party. Sure. Still <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, but that, that is me. And that's always been me. Like I I'm here for the full ride. Like there's nothing minimal or quiet about my like experience of life. I've always wanted to, experience at the most uh, and learning to give myself permission to experience the range that we're taught isn't, you know, preferred or accepted. That was where a lot of my work was that like, you can be this big, bright, shiny beam of optimism, which is how I've always been seen. And that is also true to my nature and feel the depth of your pain and ask for support because you're not that great right now. And that has been just one of the biggest gifts that I've given myself. And it's also the thing that has benefited my relationships more than anything, especially my friendships. Like I have incredibly deep, amazing friendships with people that like I respect so much. And it was only when I gave myself permission to like feel like shit and be honest about it that that was possible when I was being the thing that I thought everyone wanted from me my relationships only went so deep but yeah. when I really let myself show up truly authentically which needed to start with giving myself permission to feel all of my own feelings right. then I was able to articulate them that's what really created the depth of community and connection that I had been starving for my whole life, right? Like only child, just like begging for friends. Um, and I feel like now I'm at, finally at a place where like hungry for connection is just not even in the anywhere near where I exist. And it was in the permission that I've given myself to experience the full range of humanness that that became available. Yeah. And when you say, and I feel like we say this a lot of like, really feel the emotion, sit with the emotion. What does that mean? If someone, I feel like hears that for the first time, they're like, yeah, I feel sad. Yeah. I feel depressed, but how do we actually sit with it and move through it? What does that mean? Yeah. I love this question because I feel like we are in a new age culture where we have a lot of awareness of our feelings, which is not the same thing as actually feeling them. Yes. Uh, and, and this was me. I could explain my feelings to a coach for two straight hours and not actually move any energy because I was just in the mental space. Let me tell you about my feelings. That's, that's feeling them, right? No. Uh, emotions, you know, people use the expression, their energy and motion which means that, you know, when we start to cry about something and we just bottle it back up or we just like let a little spurt of it out, we're kind of denying ourselves the freedom that's available in that moment because what we actually want to do is go deeper, further in and expand the emotion and make it bigger. And there's this beautiful dance of you know, surrendering to what energy wants to move and be processed in the moment without like dramatizing or adding story or energy to it. And so what I will usually guide people through is experiencing their emotions 
until they're done because most emotions can't last more than like five minutes, maybe 15 if you have a lot of backed up energy, but really like you can't stay in one emotional state for very long. And the fear around feeling the depth of our sadness, our pain, our grief is that we'll be there forever. You know, the story that like, I'm a sad person now, if I let myself be sad for 10 straight minutes, I'm a sad person and that's who I am. The Mm -hmm. ego wants to like identify with everything. And so we don't, we go, no, 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 I'm a happy person. So don't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, When in reality, if you want to be free, we have to move the energy through our body. So it means giving yourself permission to have that like deep guttural cry where it feels like it's just being pulled from like the base of your belly and you're like purging this pain that you've been carrying possibly for generations. It could be karmic energy that you're carrying, you know, like there's a lot of pain in my lineage and a lot of persecution. You know, anyone who's ever been a woman in a past life is probably afraid of being burned for being a witch because you bleed. And there's just a lot of energy there that gets to move when we give it permission to. And that means finding embodiment practices. So if you can't access your emotion through just being with them, dance, movement, uh, you could do anger practices by boxing or screaming really loud, hopefully from your belly and not your throat. Um, there are <laughs> ways to really access. And I find that music is a huge window for that. And just actually giving yourself dedicated time, hopefully every day to be with what's there and to move the energy through your body, not just tell yourself a story about how you're feeling or like touch the emotion like this. Oh, that's there. Okay, cool. Now I'm going to do something else. That's what most of us do. Oh, sadness. Okay, I'm out. Um, Instead, we're like, where is it in our body? Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? Does it have a texture? Is there a rhythm to it? Is it warm? Is it hot? Where does it want to move if it wants to move? How do I want to move it? Like starting to get really curious about the emotions that we're carrying and the energy that wants to move through our being. That's how we really create the freedom and the acceptance within ourselves. Wow. I want to write all of this down and be like, I'm going to go find where all of these things are living in my body. (laughs) Because as I was just in Tulum, I had so many things come up that I thought that I had healed and they're like, nope, they're back. Thought you healed this like 10 years ago? Nope, it's still there. And it's so beautiful though to witness it and to see, is this even mine? Or is this also really ancestral that I'm carrying and I get to be the one that breaks this, that makes this big change. So I think that's a really beautiful way. Um, How do you describe being free? What does experiencing freedom mean? I, I ask this question every time I start a program and I have everybody else answer because I'm always so curious. Um, for me, freedom is feeling safe to be fully with the moment and yourself exactly as it is. To share your truth, to be with whatever is there without having to fix it or change it or get it to be different. Uh, it means like full harmonious presence moment by moment by moment. And that also includes joy. And, you know, when we learn to fully be with what is, we also learn to love what is. Uh, And I think that's, that's part of why I feel so unique in my relationship to grief, because I've just spent so much time in it that I don't go looking for heartbreak, but there's a familiarity and it feels like grief is an old friend to me and I don't have to fear it anymore. It gives me permission to actually just be with everything that's there. And it also gives me 
the room to be with everything that's there in another person. Mm. You know, if we meet all parts of ourselves, there's nothing in another being that can scare me. You know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, was that too much? You know, when they like first start working with me or this is really big and then they'll share it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, some of the craziest, most horrifying things have been shared with me. And I don't even really need to bat an eyelash anymore because I'm totally aware that this is what being a human is like. It's crazy sometimes. And we've got to be able to just be with it and be with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm, So beautiful. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing your light for taking these experiences and turning them into this experience for everyone that it's not just about you but you have created this movement and clearly you were born for this and born for experiencing all of this to go through what you did at a young age and to where you are now and helping others I almost see you as this like dove you know it's like you're bringing people into that phoenix rising from the ashes that you're helping them find their wings truly to experience freedom so I acknowledge you for all these things and um, tell us where people can, can get in touch with you, how they can join in and be one of these containers and beautiful luxury retreats that are in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. You can always find me on Instagram. I hang out there plenty. Um, and my handle is at it's Nina Camille. So include the it's, which sometimes confuses people. So it's I T S N I N A C A M I L L E. Um, I can be found there. And then the website for Experience Freedom is experiencefreedom.co. So it's .co, not .com. And yeah, on there, you can find all the different levels of the programs we have. There are three different tiers. And yeah, there are some free experiences and free offers. There's a free gift on my website that actually takes people through uh, an embodied emotional process. So what we were just talking about, like how to find the thing that you're carrying and storing and get familiar with it and break apart the energy a little bit to create some embodied freedom in your life. Um, that's really what the free gift is. So if that resonated with you, then that's in there. And yeah, if there's anything that I shared that touches anyone, I love to hear from them and I love to make real life connections. I find that sometimes we look at other people's journeys and we go, oh, wow, like that's crazy, but I could never do that. Or I could never hang out with this person. And all it really takes is like sending me one message. And I respond to literally every single person that ever reaches out to me. And we're all just humans and we're supposed to walk each other home together. Like we're all (laughs) down here doing the same shit. You know, we just like decorate it differently. Yes. Mm, we're all just in like a line in a circle in many different shapes, dancing together, walking each other, whatever we're doing, crawling, climbing, screaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rolling around. <laughs> rolling around in the in the silk aerials. <laughs> well, I just so appreciate all of your vulnerability and realness and openness and rawness and being this inspiration. And my final question, as this is the Cosmic Earth podcast, what does it mean to you to live in a cosmic earth? Hmm. Yeah, I would, when I feel cosmic earth, it just feels like earth. I mean, we're in the cosmos, you know, we have this, especially in astrology, right? It's geocentric. So it's everything from the perspective of earth, but we're also aware that we're not at the center. We're at the center of our own 
perception for sure, but we're like this beautiful, incredible speck of dust floating around other specks of dust in this incredible expanse that we can hardly conceive of. And for some people that's daunting, but for me, it's really exciting and it's beautiful. And there's nothing that recenters me and reminds me of the absolute privilege it is to be a human than being in nature and experiencing the rawness of the earth. And I have the privilege of living on the island of Kauai, which is the garden island. And like, there's, in my experience, I've traveled a lot and there's no raw earth like there is on Kauai. I mean, this island is just something else. And every day I go outside and I commune with her and I offer fruit and other offerings and I ask for permission and it helps me remember that I chose to come here to experience the beauty, to help facilitate the mission of what we're doing with humanity and consciousness here. And while there is a mission and it is important, it's also not as serious as we make it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be as scary or hard as our minds will have us believe. Um, yeah, and it, it helps me connect to this feeling of the both smallness and insignificance of this little blip of experience and also like the power and the magic and the absolute miracle that it is. And so again, it's like being in that dance of both. And when I hear cosmic earth, that's how I feel. It's like absolute spirit and absolute like manifestation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It reminds me even, I just had this vision of you posted the other night, like a, a video of lava of like, a, was it a volcano actually erupting? Oh yeah. There's a massive eruption happening right now on the big Island of Hawaii. And I spent the spring equinox there and I watched this river of liquid fire turn into this waterfall of lava down into a crater. And oh my God, there's just there's nothing like witnessing that it was one of the most powerful moments of my life. I feel like that's like your spirit animal is lava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Liquid and fire. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Water and fire. It's your chart basically. <laughs> oh, well, this was so wonderful and so inspiring on so many levels for me. And I know for everybody listening, so definitely go give Nina a follow at it's Nina Camille and look at this beautiful, inspiring life that she's created and, you know, join one of her programs. And thank you so much, Nina, for being here. Thank you. It's so nice to finally connect with you. And I'm just so grateful to have a space to share and be really real. And thank you for being as authentic as you are too. I love when people talk about how we used to ab abuse drugs and alcohol openly. I'm like, we need to just be having this conversation. And I don't find a lot of people in the spiritual world, even though that was the path for so many of us, I don't see everyone talking about it. And I just actually started to openly share that I used to do plenty of cocaine just a, like a month ago, honestly. And so you coming forward and just being so real is so permission giving. And so I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for that. Cause yeah, we need the realness. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely so think we have, bring it. <laughs> we have to talk about it. It's a part of the path, right? Like that's a part of our destruction to reconstruct. And I think that a lot of people who work in this field now, they had to numb it somehow. I was the same way. I used to, when I lived in Vegas, I drank every single night and I got two DUIs and I had a, 
um, what is it called? A monitor bracelet, an alcohol monitor bracelet on my ankle in the middle of summer. So I, and I was like working in nightlife. I was like hanging out with Diplo. I had to wear these like big high <laughs> length boots to cover it up. And I would just do tons of Molly, you know? And then finally I got to that same point where I was like, I don't think I can deal with my teeth ch chattering all night and, you know, having this come down and there has to be something more. And I think that that's that beautiful piece that we can be like, thank you to these substances for reminding us that our brains can actually access this naturally. And mm -hmm. thank you for, for us finding this path, you know? So yeah. yeah, thank you to the drugs. And now we thank you, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, all right, my level. Well, thank you again. And thank you guys all for listening and have a beautiful, magical day. <laughs>